Nothing. I'm a, I'm an open book. Um, yeah, I, like all I can say is like the qualification. Um, it's the team will be selected July second. So, as of now, um, I'm not confirmed um, for the for the team, but um, hopefully that will be released soon. And yeah, that's basically it. Okay, so we'll call you Olympic hopeful. Olympic hopeful. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, you know what? I'll probably leave all this in anyway because it's just fine. And uh, welcome to the OFX podcast. I'm Dave Claxton. Along with me is our own little pocket rocket, uh, Bethany McChesney. And yes, since we just established this Olympic hopeful, Julianne Stalley. Did I do it? Did I get it? Or did I forget already? It's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) So Julianne, I'm I'm really excited to talk to you. And I was just saying to Dave how, like I've known you for a little bit now, but I, I just, what you've done over the last few months has just left me kind of starstruck. Just, I've just been so excited to watch what you've done um, on the track. So for people that don't know you, because so our podcast is, it's a lot of obstacle course racing, hybrid racing, but we bring in a lot of other things that um, Canadians are doing in the CrossFit world, track world. So we really wanted to introduce our podcast listeners to you just because of, um, your, so you are an Olympic hopeful, and then what you've done also over the last few months is just very, very exciting. And so we wanted to um, introduce you to our listeners. So um, I also wanted to, so we met, so I don't know if you even remember this, we met probably, I don't know, it was two or three years ago, and it was at a Godridge 5K. And I don't know if you remember this, but I I had brought a bunch of people out from my gym to race this. Go- like, Goldridge is a very, very small town. Like, I talk Strathroy, a small town, but Goldridge is even smaller. And um, I was like, I wanted to run a certain time, and I recognized you from just the track and field world. And I was like, you know, I don't know what time she's going to run, but I, maybe we can work together. And so I went up to you, and I was like, hey, Julie what time are you going to run? And you were like, well, you're like, it's Julianne. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and then you told me your time and it was a good solid minute ahead of what I wanted to run. So like, okay, Julianne, I'll see you at the finish line. <laughs> and uh, it's funny because, so my name is also a name that people often shorten, but I like to be known as Bethany and not always Beth. So I was like, yeah, no, I get her. And, uh, but yeah, so you ended up finishing obviously about a minute ahead of me, but that was when we first uh, like officially, officially met, but then we've seen each other a bunch of times ever since. Um, so since then you've done some, can I ask one thing? I want to ask one thing. And I just, actually, I think I want to apologize on your guys' behalf because the people of Godrich, like you said, it's a small town and I'm, I don't, I'm not, you know, I don't live there or anything, but I'm very familiar with it. And lo- normally we would go to our local 5Ks to like maybe get a podium or something. And for you two to show up at like the local Godridge 5K is really just mean. Like that's uncalled for. Why would you do that? <laughs> well, did Julianne, did you win overall? Yeah, I think I can't remember exactly what year, but the run around the square, it's just a fun race because usually it falls on Mother's Day weekend. So it's always like something like my mom and I would like to, you know, like do. And she sometimes did um, the 10 or now they have a half as well. But um, I always find those small town races are actually the most special because it's people that you know. And um, especially when there's like, you know, a small town community, it's it's just half an hour from where I live in Lucknow. So 
Um, but no, it's fun. And just running into people like, you know, like we would have met through that, but um, yeah, it's, it's always, it's kind of special to do those. Yeah. So Julianne probably won it overall in like 16 high. So like for your like little small town road race, it's, it's kind of unique. So Julianne, I want you to kind of walk us through. So for people that don't know you, so you've just ran um, over, the, over the last few months. And this is from your Instagram. Over the last few weeks, you have run five consecutive personal bests in the 5,000 and three times now under the Olympic standard and one time under 15 minutes for the 5,000, which is really, really remarkable, which now puts you in the selection um, in, in the realm of being selected to be on our Olympic team. So huge congratulations to you. I am so excited for you. Um, so just, I want you to walk us through the, these last few months because it's been really unique being a Canadian during COVID times right now. And everything has been shut down here. And I know you're a student and you've kind of had to make these decisions based on your goals to qualify for the Olympics and what you had to do. So I know you had to go south and find some races where you could run standard. So I want you to just kind of walk us through these last few months and your decision making and what you had to do to run those times. Yeah, um, so essentially, I guess, to paint kind of the whole picture, but our qualification period opened back up December 1st. So. As of December 2020, um, you're eligible to qualify, to run a, a qualifying time for the games this summer. So kind of all of last year was sort of this holding pattern of, you know, maintaining fitness and doing workouts and staying motivated and, you know, not getting injured and with little race opportunity as well. You, it was kind of a in-between of not knowing where you are just fitness-wise, but just trying to kind of get ready for when the next opportunity comes. So. Um, I basically used the winter just to prepare because I knew that there was going to be some fast opportunities um, at the beginning of um, the springtime, kind of February, March. So I guess leading into the winter, um, I was, my first race was the New Balance Indoor Grand Prix in New York. So that was kind of the opening of my indoor season um, where I ran the two mile um, which was um, a 9.22 so it ended up being a national record which is not like an official um, kind of record that we keep but um, just because it's an off distance but anyways I, I ended up going down and I did a couple races there so I did my first 5k in kind of a year and a half at that point and I ran 15.32 so still a ways off the Olympic standard 15.10 um, but I was just so confident that I was able to, to do it. I just needed the right opportunities and the right conditions and race and, and people. Um, so essentially, yeah, from February, then I came back home in March, did kind of a training block and um, got ready again for another trip in May of last month, um, where I basically planned kind of three consecutive 5Ks and tried to make the most of that whole trip. So um, starting in Kansas City and then heading out to California. Um, and basically, I was just able to kind of chop down the time. And I didn't plan it that way to run a PB kind of in, in each consecutive race. But 
I think once you get that experience and running 12 and a half laps, you sort of, it starts to click, I think. And um, by the time um, I ran last weekend in Portland, it just, you kind of, at that point I had already run the qualifying time. So it was just sort of like you run for broke at that point and, and see what's possible. So um, going under 15 was really special. And um, I knew that I could run under the Olympic standard. Um, I wasn't sure about under uh, 15, 10. So that, that was pretty awesome. Yeah. So when, when did you know, and I'm just, I'm just curious, when, when were you, what gave you that moment where you were so confident that you were going to make that time? I think like a lot of it comes from the preparation that you do. So, I mean, depending on, you know, the type of training and that sort of thing, but for us, it's a, a lot of track work. So, you do your workouts at race pace. So for me, it's 72 second 400. So I was able to hold that pace for, you know, kilometer repeats. And luckily I had a couple friends as well at the track that would just help pace me in those sessions. Um, but you do get that confidence from the work you put in. So after week after week of this build and you see what you can do in workouts, um, usually that will translate to, um, to a race. So at that point, then it's just sort of a mindset. Once your fitness is, is at a certain point, then the only thing that's going to change on race day is whether or not you think that's possible because um, you can't lose or gain fitness in, in the span of a week, really. But um, you can certainly um, think that it's, you know, you're not ready or, you, you know, the, the competition is too overwhelming. And so it, it's, it's definitely like a whole um, mental and physical kind of, um, I guess, combination that, that needs to come together in order to perform at that level, I guess. But it's um, it, it really starts with the work that you put in. I think that's what gives you the confidence and then allows you to kind of believe that, you know, you're capable of something. I'm curious because, like, I mean, obviously, you're, you're not running your first few 5Ks. You're not just learning here. What, I mean, it's a startling improvement. What, what kind of difference over that training block did you, like, what was the difference? How did you manage to bump yourself up that level? Like, that's, that's a, that's a big jump. Cause I mean, like, like slow guy like me to shave 30 seconds off of 5k. Well, that's fine. That happens there, you know, every other time, because, you know, I was just so slow to begin with for you to shave that kind of time off that quickly. You must like, did you change something in the training program? Was there something that clicked? So I, I'm just curious how that happened. Um, it is like, it's boring to say, but it is a lot of just consistent work over time. I, I think it, like a lot of people are like, well, you know, what happened in the last three months, but <laughs> it's been, it's been since, you know, my time at Queens. So I ran for five years at Queens university from 12, 2012 to 2016. Um, and I have the same coach. So it's just been this sort of like refining process of like figuring out what works, what doesn't, you know, modifying, making small improvements. And, um, for me, we've kind of figured out that I benefit a lot more off quality than quantity of work. So when you're talking about specific training um, for 5,000, usually I'm hitting around like 120 to 130 kilometers a week. And then, you know, two workout sessions on the track. Um, and depending on how, you know, you respond to that. But for me, doing less mileage and just better intensity kind of track work has worked really well. Um, and then I would say the third piece really is the, is the strength training. So over the last, since 2019 in the fall, I've like consistently, um, three times a week, unless I'm racing, I do strength work in the gym. 
Um, and it's obviously nothing close to, you know, the CrossFit kind of workout session would look like just because the priority is running and it's just supplementary to that. But um, I would say that I've like exponentially improved um, in terms of just what I can lift um, in the in the weight room. Hmm. So then with and I think that's really important for people to see too because I think people get so impatient with progress and they don't see that you know you've been doing this now for a decade and it's consistency over time over an extended period of time and to see those improvements like your fitness can't dramatically change over three months to drop 40 seconds in the 5,000 but it's getting into the right place at the right time, hanging on to the right girls who are pacing it properly. And that's really, so that fitness was there. You just had to get into the right situations in order to make it happen. And that came from 10 years of consistent training and smart training over that amount of time. So I think that's, that's really important for people to realize. Like that's when those, those big, jumps seem to happen and it's just it's just consistency and i think that's a really important word for people to hear and then like you said with weight training and this is something where i find a lot of distance runners kind of struggle with this too is you have to get into the gym and you have to work out your weaknesses because running can be such a um you work certain muscles over and over again where you have to balance things out in the weight room and it doesn't mean going hard but it, it's, it has to do with just balance balancing things out so then I'm really curious because you race a lot of races, obviously maxing it out um, to run personal bests for so many consecutive weeks. What did you do then in your recovery periods between those weekends in order to keep coming back and performing at such a high level? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. It is, it is pretty hard to, and especially when your race plan is changing. So I had three races lined up, but running in Portland wasn't originally part of my plan going down. So it ends up being this sort of like week to week, like reshifting in terms of, you know, workouts and stuff. But usually leading up to a race, I usually just do one session on the track. So if the race is Saturday, usually on Tuesday, and then going in, usually I taper like 50 minutes, 40, 30, come in the days leading. Um, and then if you have like a treatment or something like that, and usually with strength training as well, I'll spread a week over two weeks. So, um, if it's like, usually I have three sessions, so I'll just make sure I stagger it so that, um, I always lift on my workout days as well, just in terms of recovery. So usually any hard effort day is going to be hard. And then my easy days are just meant to be more recovery. So, um, but it is tough, especially when, you have to be adaptable and flexible. And with travel as well, I have to be a little bit more, um, I guess, aware, but you, you can't always have the right facility and access to, um, you know, a gym or whether it be a track or whatever. So you have to be kind of modifying. Do you think being down south is, <clears throat> do you think that helped in your training? Very yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Um, for the month of May, just having warm weather. And then I was at altitude as well in New Mexico. So um, you get the benefits of just not, you know, trudging around in the snow for, for that time period. But yeah, for sure. Okay. So I'm, I'm curious to how you've worked this out. So you've been enrolled in teacher's college. 
um, and it was a two-year program. So how have you worked out your schooling with this, with your training camp um, situations and going south in between all of this? So were you able to finish Teachers College or did you put that on the back burner for now? No, I was able to, <laughs> I was able to get it all in. Um, fortunately with COVID, um, it was sort of a blessing in disguise because everything's in virtual. So um, our classes were all online. So for the majority of February, um, we just had online classes and then um, our practicums as well, I was able to do it virtually. So it ended up being um, flexible with, with training and racing. Um, but yeah, in a normal year, I don't think that that would be the same situation. So I really just tried to capitalize on, you know, that time that I had and then being able to not be physically in the classroom. Yeah, that's cool. So COVID kind of worked out for you. That's good. It kind of seems like that's going around a bit, like <clears throat> not that COVID's going around a bit, I mean, obviously, but like a lot of people, you, you're seeing some people really drop off in their training, really have nosedives because of the situation. And then other people are seeming to capitalize on the situation. Maybe they're getting more rest. Maybe they're getting more focus. Maybe they haven't had to work or whatever the case may be. And are just, you know, like you say, I mean, times seem to be improving around and it's, 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 a, it would have seemed like an odd time to, for it to happen, but here we are, right? Like, that's crazy. I actually had a question. So your last race, I, I, when you went sub-15, um, what was that race like? Because, I mean, obviously that would have been a faster pace than you were used to going. Did you, and, and I've not seen a video of the race. I don't know if there's one out there, but did you tail on to somebody? How did you, how did you approach your, your strategy on that race? Yeah, so essentially, is my video clear? I just want to be sure that I... I'm good. Okay. Sorry. Um, but yeah, no, it was, um, going into the race, you see the heat sheets before, so you know who you're like up against. Um, and I always get excited when I see like top names. So Bowerman Track Club was there and a whole bunch of other pro groups from the U S but, um, Krista Schweitzer in particular, she's run 14, like 26. So I knew that this was not going to be any sort of like, you know, sit and kick style, but, um, you always have to go in with sort of, you know, the idea that, you know, you have a race plan, but likely, you know, nine times out of 10, it's never gonna, it's never gonna happen that way. So in the moment, you're, you're really just like, you kind of turn off your mind and just race. But um, luckily, we had a pacer until a, a roughly 2k. So it was a little bit slow to start, but we um, were, luckily, the splits are pretty easy too. So with 15 minutes uh, for 5k, it's just three, six, nine, 12 and then 15. So your splits, you see every kilometer, it's pretty easy to calculate any difference off of that. You know that you're, you know, off or, or under that time. So I think we we're about 902 through 3K. So I was pretty comfortable at that point um, because I know, you know, like running 847, it makes, you know, nine minutes feel relatively easy. But um, then the, you know, about 1500 out, then you have to start kind of deciding like, you know, when do you think is your best time to go? And for me, usually around the 500, just before a lap to go is usually when I want to get into position before you have to go around um, the bend again. So it's on the straightaways is usually the better time to pass. So on the back stretch 300, I was already in the lead coming into the last lap. And I just thought like, at that point, you just have to go for it. And um, I wasn't quite able to hold off Andrea, uh, Sakafine and Jessica Hall, but 
um, I have no regrets from how I ran that race. And I think just pushing a little bit earlier, although from a placement standpoint, if this was a championship race, you would want to run that differently just to be more tactical in terms of placement um, if you're looking for like podium finish. But um, from time-based standard to run under 15, you have to take those sort of risks because if you sit too long, it's likely... I mean, it's a matter of seconds, but you can lose that pretty quick. So, you know, a close in like a 65 or something like that. So it is, it was a fast finish. How did you feel at the end of that? Like, were you aware immediately that you had, you had, you had been sub 15? Yeah, usually you just take a minute to kind of cross the line. And then usually I just sit down as, as fast as I can, because you're just, you're pretty exhausted. But um the, the clocks, like they have great, like there's clocks everywhere and they have like the screens up and stuff. So you see the names like shuffling through and I kind of look over and I knew like, okay, I knew that this was going to be quick, but it could be, you know, 1501 or 14.59, you don't know. And when I saw 14.57, I was like, I did it. Like this is, yeah, it was really special. So for people that don't know, Andrea Sakafian is also a Canadian. That's great. So yeah, so we've now had, um, we now have four Canadian women under 15 minutes, so. So that being the case, and when we addressed you as an Olympic hopeful, um, so there's four Canadian women under 15 minutes, how many go to the Olympics? Three. Yeah, that's harsh. I, I had a, a small chat with Bethany and I had talked about this, and I'm like, just send them all. Like, anyone who makes it, just send everybody. <laughs> Because it seems like it seems like in the states they sent four billion people to the Olympics. I think we should, you know, be able to set one or two markers. Yeah. <laughs> it's only reasonable. Yeah, that's totally the Canadian way. <laughs> just, just send them all. It's just... anybody who tries really hard should get to go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we'll come back to the Olympic thing and like your future. Um, your future plans leading up to that but I, I really I'm curious about your time in in university and your varsity track career because I find coming from um, the varsity track world where almost none of the girls that I ran with continued on with track so I find the your university life can kind of make or break you with where you go with your future in running and track and I, I do believe the coaches in that environment really, they either develop people, um, athletes who are geared towards long-term development, or they just kind of want to run you out um, for the four years that they have you and they don't really care what happens after. And I, I've seen all sides of the university track world. And so I'm just really curious then your time at Queen's University, how, how it was for you. Because obviously you've gone on to succeed and some of your teammates um, have also gone on to succeed post-collegiately. So I just want you to speak a little bit about your university track years. Yeah, definitely. Um, the developmental piece is huge. And I think a lot of credit is to the coach in terms of how they, you know, see recruits coming in and how they manage their, you know, where they're currently at and, and meeting them at that level. I think a lot of the times there's this kind of misconception that everyone going to university wants to pursue, you know, um, you know, professional sport afterwards, or and that's not necessarily the case. I think it's more of a holistic development where you're looking at, you know, the academic piece with athletics and then just kind of developing young kind of 20-year-olds. It's, it's a really interesting time period because 
you know, you, you, everyone's between 18 to 22, 23, unless you have, you know, postgraduate students. So it's sort of this in between where, you know, they're mature in terms of like development, but also just experience in the sport, depending on whether or not they ran in high school, they might be relatively new to the sport, um, depending on their levels. So luckily, I think at Queens, it was just sort of a the right level of challenge. So I, I guess like the zone of proximal development, <laughs> like you, you do have, you know, you need that amount of uh, kind of support and training and everything. And I think over those four years, it seems like a short amount of time, but you do, you can accomplish a lot. And luckily, um, so there's, you know, cross country in the fall and indoor track in the, in the winter or in the summer, winter time, sorry. And then uh, come summer, usually it's outdoor track season. So the only thing that's hard is being able to run year round. And I think a lot of athletes might get into the trouble where, you know, if they're not just focused on one season, um, it's hard to peak for all three. So that would be one thing is I, you know, usually would back off one of those seasons at some point, just to make sure that come, you know, cross country that I would be ready to go. Um, and then in terms of, yeah, just like sticking with it throughout, I think a lot of it's motivation, like the athlete needs to need to want to be, you know, competing and involved. And because running so unique, it's individual, it's a little bit different than your team sports, where it might be a little bit easier to, you know, be motivated to get out for practices and stuff. And, you know, we do quite a bit of running on our own. Um, although, you know, there's a couple workouts a week and that sort of thing. So, um, but I would say, a lot of it's up to the coach and how they manage that team um, and just knowing their athletes and, and kind of their own personal goals as well. Um, luckily in Canada, we don't have that same, I think, pressure just because it's not um, fully funded and the coaches don't have that same um, kind of expectation in terms of performance at a national championship. So that then is, you know, you feel that from an athlete uh, standpoint is, you know, are they making the best decision for me as a person or is it just completely from a performance standpoint? So that dictates how they approach in terms of training and, and all that sort of thing. So um, luckily, yeah, it's, it was just a good situation, good environment. And then just, I mean, I'm still with my coach. It's almost 10 years post university. So I guess clearly it's been working. Um, but yeah, it's, university I think is the most special time to be kind of a student athlete and I think it could be really good if it's done in the right way is it is it common like I mean you just said 10 years post you know collegiate is it common to be like increasing so at that point like would you be in the common range of what you would consider a peak you know would you be hitting your peak or something like that like I, I hear guys talk about all the time oh, back in my college days, I ran, you know, this, I ran that, and now I can't touch that, whereas you're still climbing. Is that a common occurrence or? Yeah, I mean, like I'm 27 now, and I would say I'm sort of on the upswing in terms of elite kind of into like more professional for running. Um, usually, like, luckily, you know, you move up in distance as you get older, typically running. So, um, you know, 1500, 5k, I'm still, you know, I've still got some speed, but ideally, you know, in the next, you know, five or seven years, I would say moving up to maybe more road races, kind of 10k half marathon, that's sort of the natural progression. Um, and luckily, 
in comparison to some other sports, but it is the longevity. Like if you're doing it the right way and you have the right training and the right coach and um, you're doing your strength training and everything as well, um, you can be involved for, um, you know, I would say for, for life and maybe not at that competitive level, but um, there's, there's people who are, you know, in their late thirties who are, you know, our top marathoners in Canada. So it's really encouraging that way. So I'm also really curious because um, you had mentioned how you've had uh, you've had a sponsorship with New Balance since 2015. So when I was in university, that wasn't that wasn't really allowed. You weren't allowed to make an income as a varsity athlete um, as amateurs. So how has that changed then? Because that's very foreign to me from the world I grew up in. Yeah, technically, I mean it's considered, I know in the NCAA, you can't receive prize money or income. In Canada, I don't think that rule is the same. And I think it's mostly because of the funding from the university itself. So anytime that I ran with Queens, I represented, um, it was Adidas at the time, but you would wear their uniform. Um, but yeah, in 2015, um, that's when I started with New Balance. And um, in terms of support, I think, it ends up like over the years, it's kind of formalized more so, and you kind of get more into contracts and stuff as well with these shoe companies because, um, and running unfortunately is, it's not as transparent. So, you know, in comparison to the NHL or NBA, you can look up athlete salaries that they make per year. Running isn't like that. Um, it's it's individual, it's, you know, person to, to uh, company kind of agreements. So it's not as, open and kind of talked about, which is, I think, a disservice to the athletes as well, just because there's not as much kind of um, clarity in terms of that process. But um, from a university athlete, it wasn't something where you're, you, you know, you're making a salary per year, um, apparel and shoes and all that kind of stuff was a big part of it. Um, but at these races, once you're competing at this level, um, there is quite a bit of prize money um, so you start negotiating, you know, in terms of like where you're going and, and races and all that kind of stuff. And, um, that's sort of the next level, uh, depending on where you're at, but then moving from sort of high performance elite into, into professional, um, into the professional side of the sport. So would you call yourself a professional athlete right now? I would say I'm in in the in between right now I would say I you know I just graduated so technically I would have still been a student athlete but it's sort of like the high performance I would say elite at this point and then um kind of looking ahead hopefully kind of moving into that um professional there's been a lot of ground in like when you talk about marathons earlier there's been a lot of ground in the marathon shoes with all the the, the vapor zoom fly hyper x four nine k's <laughs> titanium inbreded plates anyway the point is there's been a lot of advancements to the point where they're talking about outlawing certain shoes and marathons is it the same for the short distance running like has that changed that much has the technology you know bumped up that much yeah so we wear a carbon plated spike on the track so essentially you know you can't modify a spike too much um i guess you know 50 years ago, they were probably leather shoes that were, <laughs> that were fairly heavy, but now, you know, they've, they've, they're only a few hundred grams. Um, and basically the plate in them is pretty stiff. So you don't lose much energy, um, you know, output. So it, it just, it sort of 
um, it, it just allows for that kind of rigid um, push off, I guess. So the only limitation is the stack height. So the foam is actually a big part of the shoe. It's not just that carbon plate. So for the 4% or the Vaporfly, um, which Nike makes, they, they've now put a height limit. So on the track, you cannot have a shoe that's over, I don't know exactly the specifications, but um, I should. But uh, our spikes are relatively um, minimalist anyway. Um, but on the road, it is a big topic because that amount of foam, they found that it's substantially improving times. And what shoe did you run your sub 15 in? Um, so it actually just got released, but it's the New Balance MDX. It's so it's, yeah. Write right that down, Dave. <laughs> MDX. MDX. Yeah. There we it's go. Newest uh, plated spike. And it's awesome. Um, yeah, it, I mean, anything up to, I would say 10K on the track, you would you'd be able to do in that shoe. Um, but it is, you notice over time too, it's nice to be able to get into trainers and just when you have the right footwear um, and even in the gym too, just switching it up with different, uh, you know, drops in the shoe and stuff. It just, it's good to stress your body in different ways because if you're always, you know, if you're doing workouts and in spikes and that sort of thing, it, it can be a bit much. So that, that's interesting to me because I, I wear the same type of shoes all the time okay. and, and there's no, I actually wear zero drop shoes, but it, I don't care about the drops. I never really got into that. It's just, they're comfortable for me. So that's why I wear them. Yeah. But I, I've never really understood that, you know, going to changes in the drops and that being a good thing. I would have thought that was the other way around. I would have thought that was counterproductive, but <laughs> this is why I'm slow. <laughs> and flip-flops in the gym really so it's not even a conversation <laughs> those are my workout flip-flops they're good i have them right now <laughs> i don't know what you crossfit people wear in the gym but i'm assuming you probably have some footwear of of sort yeah yeah well different yeah totally different um Julian, I really, I want you to talk a little bit about the mental health piece of distance running. Cause so in the OCR world, especially over the last year, we have found a lot of women are coming out um, and just being a lot more vocal about their mental health struggles with specifically eating disorders, but also with that, that high performance piece and balancing uh, the need to perform with the keeping the love in the sport. And so I'm just curious then how you balance that right now, especially with the pressure of coming into Olympic qualifying year and still keeping the enjoyment of why you started this sport in the first place. So how do you balance all of that with the mental health piece? Yeah, that's a, that's a lot. <laughs> There's a lot to talk about there. Um, I mean, it could be a whole podcast on its own, I'm sure, but um the mental aspect of sport is, I think, really underestimated. It's it's a huge um, factor in terms of performance. And I think even just taking performance out, just your overall well-being. Um, my coach, like one of the first things he said to me is like, you need to be happy, healthy and then happy and then running fast. So in that order, I think no matter what you're doing, you need to always prioritize your overall well-being because if you know if you're not doing well and it, it's not just injuries you know it's it's any sort of state of, of well-being I think you have to make sure you're looking after yourself and then um, the performance is kind of the last piece so um, I think from a competitive 
standpoint, I think the more times that you compete and you do it, it becomes more routine. And I think you start to develop these sort of um, habits or just, you know, this, there's comfort in doing things over and over. And I think I have this sort of routine of, you know, you get to the track and you feel things out and you do your warm up and, you know, you're kind of focused and, you know, you're eating certain things and, you know, you sleep regularly and then, you know, you have your familiar, you know, training, warm up drills, all that kind of stuff. So anything that I do over and over, it's sort of just, um, it allows me not to have to think too much. And, um, it just kind of puts me in that frame of mind that I need. Um, and then I think my approach in terms of racing has really, um, changed. I think, especially since my university years, I would be fairly anxious. And I think sometimes it would take away from the enjoyment. Um, I think we forget that sometimes, you know, the, the pressure should never outweigh kind of the pleasure of doing the sport. I think, you know, we're, we're out there to enjoy something. So it should never feel like, you know, it's overwhelming in terms of, you know, that the performance aspects. So I try to reframe that into more just being excited. So when I'm stepping on the line, you're nervous and, you know, but it's, it's a positive energy. It's not a negative sort of like, you know, where it deters you from, from wanting to do it. It's, it's the adrenaline and, you know, all the kind of emotions, but it's, it's, it makes me excited to be out there. And I feel fortunate and um, especially now to have the opportunities to be able to race. Um, so I think it's shifting that a little bit. And, and I mean, the mental health part of it, it's depending on your kind of predisposition um, into the sport and how you cope and manage and what strategies you have available to you. I think the support around you is, is really important um, and making sure that whether it's your family or friends that they, you know, whether or not you perform well or not, they're still just as happy for you. Um, and then for me, um, I work with sports psychologists as well. So that has been like a big part of, you know, just in the last four or five months I had reached out and it was someone that I knew actually from, from Queens university as well. So those relationships are huge. Um, and I think at this level, you do need to make sure you have, uh, I wouldn't say it has to be a qualified, you know, professional, but I think if you know someone who has experience and can relate to what you're trying to do, um, it's, it is really helpful. That, that seems to have become commonplace now, almost as much as the, the technology and the equipment is going up, the, the technology and the sports psychology, like technology, the advancements in sports psychology. I hear it all the time from everything from like yourself in the track to NHL athletes to everything, all having individual sports psychologists. I mean, it seems to be paying off. Like, what, what, what made you decide to go that route? What made you decide to, to gravitate there? Yeah, so it was, I... I think before I had already spoke with a couple of people, um, it like we, you know, we had, it was sort of informal and sometimes you have to be careful because sports psychology can get kind of mixed in with like counseling and like life coaching and therapy, but it's not like when I think about sports psychology, it's a registered psychologist um, and some of them specialize. So Bethany had brought up like eating disorders, for instance, but each, each individual probably has a specific kind of topic that they had researched or that you know a specific population of of athletes maybe that they worked with but 
Um, funny enough, so the the guy that I work with, Dean, Dr. Dean Tripp, um, he's actually a pain psychologist, clinical psychologist in Kingston. So um, unrelated to sport, um, he, he works with IBS, so um, irritable, irritable bowel, bowel syndrome, sorry, but it's a lot of just pain management, but he's a big sports um, guy as well. So kind of coming from a hockey background, but he works with the athletics department at Queens. And that's how um, he was actually one of my profs as well. So I just, I knew this individual and I think having that relationship um, with, you know, whether it's a, you know, you have a counselor or, a, you know, therapist or whatever, I think you need to build that rapport. So it's almost more important than, you know, maybe their qualifications, but how you relate. And I think it is tough to sit down with someone that you've, you know, never spoke with before, and then just like give them your life story. And you can't just give them a piece. You need to give them, you know, the full picture so that they can approach it from kind of a, you know, holistic um, and helpful way, um, you know, in, in terms of what you need. But I think that has been really, um, great because you know just kind of seeing eye to eye and kind of similar approaches and um at this level as well you don't really need to be told what to do it's just kind of reaffirming what you already know <laughs> so it's just it's it's just being able to kind of like lay out you know your stresses and all that kind of stuff and just reframe and and figure out okay you know i i can do this and it's going to be okay and you know even if it doesn't work that's that's okay you know and it's 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 just sort of like a nice um check-in yeah i find i've heard this many times before where I'll, everyone in some people you line up on the start line and everyone is very very similar in abilities but the difference is really what happens in your mind and your mental state between who crosses the finish line at what point so it really does become very crucial and when i was in university i started seeing a sports psycho uh, psychologist as well and it made such a dramatic difference in my performance as well because i think that self-belief because like you were saying, in that last 500 meters of the race, it really comes down to what's going on in your mind and your self-belief. Like, do you believe you can go with those girls or not? And I, you know, I think a lot of people in, in that level of performance too, like you can handle the pain, you can handle the suffering, but it's really what's going on in your mind at that time as to what ultimately ends up being um, your end performance. So I think yeah. it's, and I think too, like this, the whole, the, the word stigma is thrown around a lot too, but the stigma of like seeing someone to actually help you with your mental state when it comes to performance, like I just, I think it's just another part of the game. And if you really want to be performing at that level, it's just something else you kind of have to check in with. Yep, absolutely. So now we're coming up to 50-ish days to Tokyo 2021. And so where do we go from here, Julianne? So you're sitting in the top four position to go um, to be named to our team. So are you planning to race at our national championship? Because we know now it's not, it's not necessary that you do to qualify. So what's your game plan from here? Yeah, so essentially, um kind of in the next three weeks of June, but the trials are happening at the end of June. So um, the 24th to the 27th. And as of now, there's no one in the 5,000 meters. So 
I can assume that the, the, our governing sport body, Athletics Canada, is going to select based on performances from this season. So the qualification period ends on the 28th, um, the day 28th or 29th after nationals. So up until then, um, people have an opportunity to try and run um, that standard. But I think I've put myself in the best position I can um, in terms of just running that qualifying time now three, three consecutive times. Um, and getting under the 15-minute mark, I think, as well. Um, and we do have a point-based system, um, which is sort of a arbitrary <laughs> world ranking. But it, it's a way of, um, of basically using points to determine um, who's in the top. Um, the cutoff is 45 um, for the five, the women's 5,000 meters. So you can look at, at your world ranking as well. And our Athletics Canada will, I think, take that into consideration. But for me in the next couple of weeks, uh, my plan is to actually race the 1500 at nationals. So just to be able to develop a little bit more speed, um, I don't plan on competing in that event, um, but it's just, it's helpful to kind of, you know, just like wearing different shoes, but you, you do want to diversify a little bit. And usually uh, championship style races are kind of more tactical and you have to know how to position yourself. And it's not just a nice time trial where you can pace and, you know, be in a, be in a row of, of athletes. So I think, yeah, that, that will be a good chance. So that's on the 27th. And then there's a small, well, not small, but there's another meet in Montreal following the trials. Um, so I'm potentially thinking of doing a 3000 there, but that's really just for me in terms of kind of, in in my builds because I'm looking towards the end of July um, for the game. So the official selection is July second when they when they announce the team. Um, but yeah, up until then, um, you just have to wait and see if if anyone else is you know gonna um, come into the mix as well. But I would say I'm sort of in the second position right now for for Canada um, based on just times, and then I'm. Um, first ranked with the points. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, that's it. Okay. Yeah, I didn't realize that. So second position based on, so you're taking Gabrielle Stafford's time out? So you can't, assuming um, because of the Olympic schedule, you can't double in the 1500 and the 5k. Um, you could only do an 800 and 1500 or a 5k, 10k. Um, or 1500, 10K. So just the, the 1500 finals and heats and finals in the 5K um, overlap. So, um, but yeah, Gabriella, technically she would have the performance um, for, for first ranked, um, which would then bump me to third. But right now it would be Andrea and I, then um, Kate and Natalia, who um, are also into the 1500 as well. So um, it's, yeah, you, you can only control kind of your performance, but um, you just you just try and put yourself in the best position. I gotta look at this point system. I have a feeling it'll drive me insane. I... <laughs> it, it, it's yeah, so it's... confusing. <laughs> I don't. I've never made sense of it because different and different races are given different amounts of points. Like it's it's confusing. Oh yeah, I'm gonna go off write some harshly worded emails. I was like, good hobby for me to just slam that point system. That'd be fun. Yeah, yeah. The best, the easiest way I can explain it, but any race that you do, depending on the level of race it is. So if it's like an international competition, it'll be ranked higher. 
Um, but you just want to run as fast as you can, place as high as you can, and then run at those big races because that will give you the most points. Um, and then they just average um, three performances. So your three best 5,000s get averaged into a score. Um, and why we have that is just because you can compare yourself across all of the 5,000 meter times in the world. So at the Olympics, if you filter that out three per country, because there'll be three spots on the line for every country um, in that event. Um, so then we take the top 45 and that's essentially who you're gonna be racing um, given that you make it. So in a perfect world, why we have the 1510 as our Olympic standard is because based on previous times, that's what it took to make the Olympic um, the 5,000 meters. So you can be fairly confident that running under that standard, you're going to be in that, in that mix. But um, it is interesting to see. And a lot of women, um, it's, you know, it's really close between times because everyone's sort of right at that 15 minutes um, in, in other countries as well. So, but you get to know the names and uh, going down to the U.S. as well. It's, it's just good exposure. Does that help clarify it, Dave? <laughs> I think so. I, I got to clear it up. The point is, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just keep getting points. I, yeah. obviously, you know, I think what it goes as is just to, um, not only do you want the fastest times, you want people who are consistently going to turn it out. You don't want a one-hit wonder going there and then cr crashing and burning, right? That's mm -hmm. kind of the process, why they're after that. And the races you get into are also very important to that ranking. Yeah. So that's why an athlete might travel to races in Europe versus racing in Canada because your your point system is more important if you're going to travel like over the ocean. Exactly. Yep. So you didn't get a lot of points for the Godrich 5K. <laughs> That's what you're trying to say. Unfortunately, that was a, on a very unofficial, unofficial, um, but it is always one of my favorite, uh, <laughs> favorite races. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the mix you get into is very important. Yeah. For sure. Dave, do you have any more questions? I don't. I just want to say, um, like, congratulations. So impressive. I mean, um, from definitely a, a neophyte person when it comes to understanding track, I mean, just to stand back and hear those times is that utterly amazing. I mean, I run with other people in, in OCR and different events and, um, you know, people that I see that I'm like, that's fast. And then I see, no, it's not that fast. <laughs> So, I mean, just congratulations. I really hope I get to see you on TV and uh, we'll definitely be waving flags for sure. I appreciate it. No, it means a lot. Yeah, thanks so much, Julianne, for coming and joining us. Um, I, I've just been glued to my uh, to the screen watching you perform over the last few months. I'm just so inspired by what you've done. So um, I really hope, again, that you're named to our Olympic team and we can watch you at, in Tokyo 2021. Oh, no, thanks so much. It's been fun being on and just getting, getting kind of into different uh, podcasts and stuff too. You don't always, it's usually running specific, but it's fun to just kind of, yeah, branch out too. And then on Olympic year, we get you on the OCR course. <laughs> yeah. Some monkey bars, some sandbags and such. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you can come train with me. We'll have some fun. Yeah, that sounds good. I'm in. <laughs> All right, um, Beth, you want to wind it up? Um, yeah, so anyways, thanks so much, Julianne, for joining us. Um, keep crushing it on the track, and thank you for giving us such amazing things to talk about. <laughs>